the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The biggest pop culture movement since the Beatles, $22.5 billion at the box office, and we found the one guy who doesn't have a clue what we're talking about. With two fellow MCU nerds to help guide his hand along the way, one thing is for certain, we're with him until the end of the line. Welcome to Colin Brain versus the MCU. On your left. Hello and welcome again to your new favourite MCU podcast designed for your ear holes. We have made our way back to Midgard via the Bifrost of Asgard and not only that, we have travelled all the way back to the 1940s. That's right, this week we are watching Captain America, the first Avenger. So before we kick off proceedings, please allow me to introduce my fellow co-hosts. Firstly, a man desperately in need of the super soldier serum, if only to stop twisting his back every time he picks up his child. It's Robert Trott. Rob, say hello. Hello, that is savage. I thought you were just going to leave it as, may I introduce... A man. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I do need the super serum. I'm, I'm there done. There you go. It, it will help. Uh, and secondly, the man whom this very podcast is about. He's as opposed to razors as Steve Rogers is to bad manners. It's our very own Captain Beard, Jolin. 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 <laughs> Colin. Colin. John. Brain. Colin, how are you? I'm doing well, mate. Um, thanks for that, yeah. Good, good old no Jolin. worries, Jolin. Jolin. Jolin is here. Oh, just before we started recording, we were just saying that for some reason we're in a bit of a giggly mood and yeah, that really. whole intro I think was an absolute <laughs> mess. So um, let's start as we mean to go on and keep going. So are we both well? Yes. Yeah, Without mate, yeah. the serum, my back is repaired. <laughs> I'm back to my mediocre dad bod. <laughs> I'm doing well, mate. Beard is staying strong, but I do have a haircut booked for next week, which I'm very, oh, very, very, very in need of, and I'm very <laughs> excited to have it done. Good. Uh, that's really good to hear. So, um, Rob, quick question. I was thinking, so we're five episodes in. Have you come close at all in any of our previous episodes to maybe spoiling anything for Colin? I think I have. As in, you think you already have spoiled something for him? I think I've been dropping a plethora of little, little nuggets that will have gone well over Colin's head. Yeah, but they have. Our our nerdy listeners will have. Uh, I think there'll be a few little things that go. Ooh. <laughs> They'll do that. That exact noise. Good, because there's been a couple of times where I think I've tried to hint at certain things, maybe on the horizon, and I've. I've had to choose my words very carefully. I think I've done well so far because I'm not the best at keeping spoilers to myself. Um, Are you not? I'm not. So, God, God, I hope I uh, don't jinx myself now, especially for this episode as well. So, Colin, I think we've mentioned this as well in maybe episode one of this podcast that we actually did go see Captain America the First Avenger when it was first released at the Cineworld in the O2 Arena in London. Yes. So I have to ask, before we dive into the film, did any of it sort of come back to you whilst watching it or had it just all completely vanished? No, no. Some of it had stuck around. I won't get into it too deeply yet, but I have a very, very different opinion on the film watching it now than I did from the first time around, which was quite interesting. Very interesting. Okay, cool. So then, before we get your your feedback, so to speak, uh, as always, sit back 
have a drink that goes both for you two and our listeners. <laughs> as I'm going to, as always, provide a bit of a, uh, a background to the film. And as always, Collins, Collins, Jollins, uh, <laughs> any questions, just ask away. Um, I'm sure between oh. us, we may be able to answer. Do you, you know, like podcasts have like their group, like a fan base, and they call them something. Can we please call them the Jollins? The, the Jollins. Yeah. Your Probably. fans the will Jollins. be the Jollins. <laughs> the Jollins. Okay, I think it's also worth saying, I had not noticed this to say, but you've just reminded me, Colin, that we're doing all these chats over Zoom because even though lockdown's slowly sort of starting to um, loosen, I guess, we're still uh, a fair few hours away from each other. Yeah. Uh, so we all we do this over Zoom, and we all obviously, so Colin Brain isn't there's Colin Brain, I'm George O'Connor. Rob has decided to give himself a nickname every single week. So, Rob... For Iron Man, what was your nickname again? Can you remember? Tony Starch. Tony Starch. That is comedy genius right there. <laughs> um, for Incredible Hulk, it was Bruce Banter, if Bruce I remember Banter. correctly. Yeah. Iron Man 2, low hanging fruit, it was Ivan Wanko. <laughs> it was. <laughs> comedy gold. And for Thor, oh, you explain. I'm not. I'm not even going yeah, to. Yeah, you explain <laughs> to the audience what its, Thor was. Yeah, died on its Asgard. It, um, so this one, rather than <laughs> Thor, Odin's son, it was Thor. Hold on, you what, son? <laughs> <laughs> Which needed to be said like that for it to it make needed, any sense. It, it needed to be explained and said like that for both of us to go. I yeah. typed it all oh. out in the Zoom thing and was like, right. This one's gonna be the best one yet. Can't <laughs> wait to see the boys' reaction. And it was just them sort of like squinting at the screen, reading it. And George going, Thor, hold on, Watson. 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 Yeah, it was definitely Watson. <laughs> Who's Watson? Yeah. Fuck me. Oh, and so uh, today he is. Oh my, he's keeping it um, as as golden as you. Highbrow. He's, he's fucky Barnes. <laughs> God, I'm not going to get through this podcast. <laughs> can you, George, can you just say that again, please? <laughs> Fucky bars. Oh, okay. That's good. Well, I want to clip that and have it as a, a message alert tone every time I get a message. Every, every time oh. I text the group oh. chat. Oh. He's fucking bad. Oh, Christ. Okay, come on. Pull it together, We're boys. Seven We've got a podcast. In, I've got a headache. Too. <clears throat> oh, we've right. got a podcast to do, lads. Come on, we've got a together. podcast yep. to do. Come on, <clears throat> Jollins and fucky parts. So far, so good. Skip the compliments. Let's get on with it. So, Captain America uh, was actually meant to be the first film in the MCU, but there was a few years really of disagreements in terms of the script, as the creatives at uh, Marvel just kept going back and forth as to whether the film should be in the present day or in the 1940s, and deal with the origin story of Steve Rogers. And it was also a victim of the writer's strike that happened in 2007-2008 as well. And, you know, it delayed a lot of TV shows, and it really affected them. But uh, it actually affected uh, the script of uh, Captain America as well. So once it finally decided uh, to pick the direction of the script, so to speak... Uh, it then came to pick a director. So the the director of The Incredible Hulk, uh, Louis Leterrier, he was actually in a meeting in Marvel Studios when he walked past an uh, an office 
containing some of the, the concept art for the first Avenger, and he immediately sort of offered himself to direct the film. Um, they actually end up turning him down, as they wanted someone who'd had preview, uh, in their sort of their previous films maybe shared like a visual aesthetics or they shared some sort of similarities. So Marvel actually approached a guy called Joe Johnston, who had previously made a film called The Rocketeer. Now that was a comic book adaptation filmed in 1991 about a pilot that comes across a prototype jetpack that gives him the ability to fly. Have you ever and seen it? The whole fi- Sorry, I ha- they- I've never seen it. Oh my god. Like... One of my childhood favourites. Mm, I'm, I'm intrigued because it because it definitely does. I've seen some pictures of it today. Mm. It definitely shares like a visual aesthetic to the first yeah, Avenger. That's great. Yeah. So um, and throughout the whole film, he's like um fighting these evil forces that want the jetpack and so uh, so so on. Um, but he was also on the crew of the original Star Wars um, films as well, working in the special effects departments. So in terms of casting. As always, the casting net was set pretty wide. Um, People that auditioned for the role were John Krasinski, Ryan Felipe. Is it Ryan Philippe or Ryan Felipe? I'm not entirely sure. Um, Wyatt Russell. uh, We had Jensen Ackles uh, from TV's Supernatural and two of the three Jonas Brothers as well. Another person who auditioned was Sebastian Stan, who actually ended up getting the role of uh, Bucky in... Uh, this film instead so after auditioning chris evans um who actually ended up ended up getting the role suddenly had second thoughts after his audition he thought the audition went well but he'd previously already just played the human torch in the two fantastic four movies so and both of those were considered disappointments really so he questioned himself as to whether he wanted to jump into another superhero franchise he, but he told himself that you know many many others had auditioned for the role, and it was likely that it was never going to he was never going to hear back from Marvel really until they called. So he's quoted as saying, "Getting the Captain America offer to me felt like the epitome of temptation. It's the ultimate job offer on the biggest scale. I'm supposed to say no to this thing though, but it felt like the right thing to do. You see the pictures, you see the costumes, and it's all so cool. But I'd woken up on the day." And I actually said no, and it felt good to say no. So Marvel actually ended up going back to square one in terms of casting, until Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man himself, was shown Chris Evans's audition tape, and he immediately got on the phone to Chris Evans and explained to him Marvel's plans, so to speak, and why this would be a big mistake for him to turn it down. That actually managed to convince Chris Evans to change his mind, and he then agreed to play Steve Rogers. However, that good old contract arrived that we always uh, like to mention here, and upon noticing it was a nine-picture contract, negotiations were then stalled yet again, really. Now, after some twisting of the arm, Chris Evans eventually got his contract down to six appearances, with the option to be more if he wanted it to. Uh, He's actually very open about it in interviews now, um, he, he mainly just wanted to get the fact across that Fantastic Four had scared him so much. So here's another quote from Mr. Evans. He says, Thank God the movies are good. Because the biggest thing I was worried about was making shitty fucking movies. I don't want to make shitty movies. And then be contractually obliged to make more garbage. 
So I can kind of see his point, um, and I can kind of see his point even more after seeing the Fantastic Four movies. Um, So just before shooting began, Marvel actually approached a guy called Joss Whedon to write and direct The Avengers. Now, Joss Whedon is a bit of a contentious subject. He was the previous showrunner of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel and Firefly and shows like that. And he, he he came with a devoted fan base, and he himself was like a self-confessed comic book nerd on the Buffy set, and he also did um, reshoots on the Justice, Justice League movie as well, that apparently, uh, the allegations are that he's very abusive, uh, very controlling on set, um, and it's safe to say that after some of the more recent allegations as well, I don't think he'll be working in Hollywood ever again. Uh, we will go more into Joss Whedon in the future, um, but maybe, you know, we'll have to maybe try and separate the man from his work. Uh, we'll see when we get round to it, really. But, um, yeah, just as soon as he started to write the Avengers movie, he started looking at the shooting draft uh, script of Captain America and see if he could maybe connect some dots and plant some seeds, so to speak. As he put it, he says, I just got to make some character co- character connections. The structure of the thing was already really tight and I loved the script, but there's a couple of opportunities where I could find his voice a little bit more and make the connection so that you understood exactly why he wanted to be who he wanted to be. And so, yet again, I'm actually very glad to say production on Captain America The First Avenger was smooth. Um, There was no real issues. It had the contracted reshoots that we mentioned last week, I think, and it made $65 million on its opening weekend. Uh, That is actually exactly the same amount that Thor made in its opening weekend when it was released two months previously. Uh, It had positive reviews. It ended up making a total of $370 million worldwide with both fans and critics in agreement that Chris Evans was perfect in the role of Steve Rogers. So, Colin, what did you think? I think I'll I'll have to agree with the fact that Chris Evans was a great choice for the role, which is so crazy that... I remember one of the things I really didn't like about it when I saw it was I just didn't think he was very good, <laughs> which, seem, which seems really odd. I mean, maybe I was just in a bad mood when I watched it or something, but I thought he was really good. Mm. I think out of all of the films that we've watched so far, this was the first one where it felt like they really nailed a female character and, and the romance between him and was, uh, Agent Peggy Carter, Carter was done really well. Mm. And all, all that being said, I wasn't a big fan of the film overall, though. Okay, interesting. I'm very intrigued to get into reasons why. Um, mm-hmm. Rob, as well, um, initial thoughts on the rewatch? Um, I've I've always liked the film. Mm. Like, I've always liked it a lot. But this was the first time that I watched it where I was... I sort of took into... Because we're sort of delving a bit deeper now and we're looking into the context of things and so much has followed... And also looking at the Joe Johnston effect. Yeah. So, if I I love it, I really love it. <laughs> I, I, I sort of the more I've watched it, the more I like it, and can mm. forgive what I previously would sort of put it down for. Yeah. So this is maybe my least revisited Marvel film because I've always had it in my head that the first half is very strong before having a um maybe this is too harsh a word boring final act I do still have some issues with the final act but for the most part I think this is really really entertaining um I love the pre-serum Steve Rogers 
I love some of the early action sequences. I love the parts of him traveling around America and trying to sell bonds and all of that. And uh, yeah, Chris Evans is great in this. So let's jump into a deep dive because I'm very intrigued to get both of your thoughts on this. So in the present day, scientists in the Arctic uncover an old frozen aircraft And in March 1942, Nazi Lieutenant General Johann Schmidt and his men steal a mysterious relic called the Tesseract, which possesses untold godly powers. In New York City, Steve Rogers is rejected for World War II military recruitment due to his various health and physical problems. Now, whilst attending an exhibition of future technologies with his best friend, Sergeant James Bucky Barnes, Rogers again attempts to enlist. Now, overhearing Rogers' conversation with Barnes about representing his country in the war, a Dr. Abraham Erskine allows Roger to enlist. So Colin's already sort of given us his his thoughts on um, Chris Evans. Um, What about you, Rob? Anything to add? He's so good. And the weird thing is, like, the Fantastic Four films, not good. But they were never not good because of him. Mm-hmm. He was his human torch is one of the the highlights for me. Like he nailed that arrogant knobhead yeah. character. <laughs> yeah, he was great in this. I can't imagine anyone else now. Like mm. Wyatt Russell as Captain America get out. No, like no. it would just be weird. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think he's got that earnest quality. There's something about the character that is so inherently good and it's when you've got these characters that are like their starting point is arrogant, and so you got Thor, arrogant, bullish, we're just you know hot-headed, mm-hmm. doesn't think things through. Tony Stark, who's ego-driven, and here you've got like your classic hero will literally jump on you know a fake grenade mm-hmm. and put his life above you know other people. Yeah. So I think the fact that he gets that across in a way that because he could easily be a boring character, he could easily be just a goody two shoes that isn't interesting, but he makes it. Mm. He, he really sells it. Yeah. No, I can't quite put my finger on what he does to do that, but no, it's very true. It could very easily have been a boring character, like you said, a, just a, a goody two shoes, quite one dimensional. But um, it's not the case, Colin. How do you feel with the pre serum Steve Rogers? I think they overdid the whole adult head on a prepubescent ten-year-old's body. <laughs> that that whole thing, I, I get, I get it, but I feel like they could have just had just an, a more average-looking person who wasn't in shape, and right. it wouldn't, it really wouldn't have added any more to the. You know, he goes in the machine and he comes out like he's just been pumped full of a bucket load of steroids or whatever. <laughs> like you could have done that with just an average-looking bloke because, like, what um. Like what Rob was saying, I think the character was just more about the fact that he's just a nice guy. And that mm-hmm. was the reason why... I mean, I know that wasn't the reason why he wasn't getting into the army. Obviously, it was all the medical things. and Yeah. Like, they could have kept all that. He could have had all the medical issues. Could have just mm. looked like a sort of average bloke. But it just really... It was distracting. It looked odd. Yeah. And, and because his voice is very manly and deep, 
it just mm. it just was really really throwing me off yeah mm. there's some shots where i think it really really works but there's some shots that are, i say dated i'm obviously it was like 10 years ago nine years ago um yeah. so yeah i think there was you know they they definitely tried their best um yeah no it, it was just it was just unnatural looking like it didn't mm. he didn't look like a human with his shirt off he looked you better know? yeah when he had clothes on it was yeah easier yeah, to, yeah. Sort yeah. of, it, it, there was just certain scenes where the tracking on his head. Because what I learned from the yes audio commentary facts don't encourage him. So, I love so, it. So the commentary this this week was by old JJ himself, the only JJ that matters, Joe Johnston. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> DOP Shelley Johnson and the editor Jeffrey Ford. It was cool. a lovely, a lovely listen. Yeah, so they actually did those scenes with a fully beefed cake Chris Evans acting out all the parts. They would have a body double do the same um, sort of blocking. And then they would digitally shrink him or use body doubles mm. for certain and put his head on. There's like a few different techniques they use depending on... I was reading they were putting... Um when he was talking to other people, because obviously you have to account, you have to take in account the height difference. So yeah. It, yeah. when they're shooting the actual scenes themselves, they're the same height, but in the film they have to adjust it. So um, I think um, Chris Evans would have dots on his chin, which is the eye, which represents the okay. eye line. So people would have to be talking to his chin and things like that, so they could match it up in the edit. Yeah, mm. there's some shots where they would walk you through in the commentary, like. Okay, so when, for example, when he's in the testing bed, he's about to meet Erskine, and he's sat on, like, going from the bed to then picking up his jacket and going onto the chair, that involved, like, they were going through the whole rigmarole of, right, okay, it's a body double there, and then we sort of having to match this big dude sitting down and picking up something. For that, uh, yeah, that time was quite a special effects feat. Mm-hmm. Like you say, Joe Johnston comes from visual effects, so... um it's definitely something that interests him because he he was with um, you mentioned Star Wars, but he's also on Raids of the Lost Ark, so Indiana Jones. So he did, yeah. The, the, the parallels between that and this, I think he was the perfect guy to. There's to even get a in, little reference to Raiders, I think, at the beginning of yeah. this when um, Johann Schmidt finds the the Tesseract, I guess, uh, the cube, and um, says, "And the Führer is." too busy looking for trinket trinkets in the desert yeah. which is obviously them looking for the holy grail in um yeah raiders which is interesting did you like the thor references did you notice them this time around like uh colin because you got the, the i think there's that bit, bit in the beginning when they first get the cube and it's like the world tree on the wall and he sort of mentions the norse gods and all this sort of thing. Yeah, that that was another reason why I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I did the first time around. Because when I went to see it with you, George, I hadn't seen Thor. So, mm-hmm. and I think that is a big mistake to watch this film without watching the previous ones. I was surprised George was nudging you, going, "Mate, mate, this is this is you haven't seen it, but Thor." This is how I feel like, and you missed by five minutes of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have always been annoying. It's true, but it it, it, it sort of made me realise that this. This whole thing, the MCU or, or what you know, this series of films, 
it's starting to feel like a, a series now. Like mm. this feels like an episode. It feels like a long episode in a series. And yeah. it's quite interesting to approach it like that because I'd never felt that before when I just watched the old one, like when I saw it before. A lot of the little, like even even the Howard Stark element of the whole thing, like yeah. that, that didn't hit me at all the first time I saw it. Like mm-hmm. you could have told me then that's mm. Iron Man's dad and I'd just be like, okay, cool. Like I don't care. <laughs> Yeah, but no, that, um, and I, I think that's why I enjoyed it a lot more. I mean, I say I didn't like it; I still enjoyed it, but I had mm. some issues with it. Yeah, okay. Cool. See the uh, expo and Howard's version of that was was quite nice. I do get a kick out of the the Stark expo scene in the beginning. Mm. Sure, um, so I quite like Dominic Cooper as Howard Stark. I can't help but maybe think there was someone else out there, maybe a bit better for the role. I don't know why. I just think. Um, in the expo scenes, he, he definitely gets the swagger and the ego across of like a Stark, but I don't know. There, there's something that doesn't quite work with me in terms of that. Where you've sort of I'm seen like, his dad so recently in Iron Man Two, yeah, and he looks nothing like John Slattery. It's a bit of a miss. Yeah, like I, yeah, I don't know what the answer is. Like, and John Slattery's really almost like he's quite commanding, and he has yeah. this different. He has this different presence to. Um, yeah, that that was one of the things that I. I picked up on this. I didn't really like the Howard Stark character in this. I felt like he, mm. and again, it's probably because of, of what we had seen in Iron Man two. It just felt yeah. like he didn't quite have that authority and power that he had from those films. And I've got to yeah. ask, Colin, despite yes, not mate. really liking him, do you fondue? <laughs> Don't answer it, because you, if you answer it, you encourage him. <sighs> I know this is audio only, but my head has just gone into my hands pretty fast. It's bread and cheese, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of, um, so we'll kind of wrap up on on Chris Evans and Steve Rogers, but um, oh, Captain, my Captain, that's all I can really say. Um, Steve Rogers is, I think, he's my favourite character in the MCU. Um, yeah. So as I've become older, because I'm now a thirty-something-year-old idiot, um, the thing I love more in movies. Uh, is acts is the acts of like a good person or acts of kindness so let's say i'm watching like a rom-com for example or we get the usual cliche of like one of our leads dies in the end or something like that i just i find myself i won't usually get affected by it there are some exceptions like i almost had to leave the cinema um with a drip on my arm because i cried so much during a star is born (laughs) but um, (laughs) colin's face was everything to me then but then you show me a film like paddington 2 for example and it will automatically become like one of the greatest films i've ever seen in my life because uh, is this acts of kindness that really sell me nowadays so there's this emphasis on the beginning in this film, at just how much of a good man Steve Rogers is. So yeah. I love the scene in the cinema at the beginning where he's shouting at the bully during the footage of like um, the, the soldiers at the war, and he, you know, one woman in the in the cinema is quite obviously uh, she's distressed by the footage, and upon noticing this, Steve kind of tells the guy to shut the hell up. This guy's, you know, he's twice the size of Steve, but he doesn't care. Uh, so he can he do proceeds- this all day exactly he proceeds to get the crap beaten out of him and in that fight scene we have those two wonderful moments and rob's mentioned one of them is that what the first one is you know um as he gets hits to the ground he picks up the lid of a bin to shield himself which is obviously a lovely little foreshadowing of uh his weapon of choice later on in the film and it also introduces the phrase i could do this all day which when spoken from like the the bruised and bloody mouth of steve rogers um yeah. It just it, it's so much more effective for me, really. It's quite something to have a character whose first instinct isn't to 
grab that bin lid to smack him around the edge of it or use it as a weapon. He uses it defensively, and that tells yeah. you a lot about the character as well, mm. without sort of doing much. Yeah, I completely agree. So to continue, um, Steve is then recruited into the Strategic Scientific Reserve as part of a super soldier experiment under Erskine. Um, a Colonel Chester Phillips and British agent Peggy Carter. Now, Phillips is unconvinced by Erskine's claims that Rogers is the right person for the procedure, but he relents after seeing Rogers jump on a grenade to save his comrades, uh, unaware that it, it is a test. The night before the treatment, Erskine re- reveals to Rogers that Schmidt actually underwent the procedure prematurely and suffered permanent side effects because of it. So, how good is Stanley Urchin... No, Stanley Tucci as... I'm going to say that again. I'm not going to say Stanley Urchin. No, Stanley Urchin. (laughs) All right, Governor, it's me, Stanley Urchin. (laughs) Oh, fine, it stays. How good is Stanley Tucci as Erskine? I think he's so good in this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from the moment he sets him up for the... um, You know, I don't want to kill anyone. I just don't like bullies. Mm -hmm. And... That whole every scene he's in with Steve is mm-hmm. is lovely. He's really funny for yeah. his brief screen time. He delivers a lot of heart. Um, he's a, he's almost a template of a character because he really reminded me of the guy that Tony met in the cave in Iron Man One a little yeah. bit. Mm. Even his like early death and the the pointing to Steve Rogers as he's died, you know, bits and bobs like that. Mm. So, Colin, we're starting to see some links here between other marvel movies so obviously we've got the the super soldier serum that erskine wants rogers to take uh that's you know that is what inspires bruce banner in the future to try and replicate the serum uh only obviously he gets it wrong and becomes the hulk um you have also the you know the link with erskine saying that the serum enhances what you already are so it helps explain maybe that you know when banner took the serum even though he got the formula wrong he ended up like the hulk whereas when emil blonsky took it we ended up with the abomination um so in this whole sequence as well like i just mentioned i'm obsessed with the moment where steve jumps on a grenade uh in an attempt to save Mm his fellow soldiers. I think whoever wrote that sequence deserves a raise. So even my fiance who saw this with me and she hadn't seen the film before, uh, we got five minutes into it and she kind of like looked at me a little bit and she said, they want this guy to be a super soldier. And I got very weird looks when I said, well, he's my favorite (laughs) character in the MCU. And then the grenade moment happened and she looked over and was like, okay, I get it. Hmm. Yeah. It's just, I get goosebumps just talking about that moment. And I know, like, it's it's the same thing you get to talk about, sort of, like, it's so refreshing when, especially when this come out, when the instinct is to have all the heroes be dark, because it worked for Nolan's Batman at the time, which is great for Batman, but the, the sort of, the idea of trying to push heroes through that sort of dark and tortured filter. Mm. So then you've got this character that, the simple act of, yeah, when you say get back to everyone, like instant goosebumps every time I watch it. Get yeah. like proper world up. The music's great in that sequence as well. Mm-hmm. Like all of it. And you say about Erskine and that. I've, I've, I've written down the quote because I just think it's such a good quote where he says, The serum amplifies everything. I'll do it in Stanley Urchin's voice. <laughs> the serum <laughs> amplifies everything. So good. so good becomes great, bad becomes worse. 
because a strong man who has known power all his life may lose respect for that power, but a weak man knows the value of strength. So good. She's natural accent, old Stanley Urchin. Stanley Urchin, I'm never going to let that die. What did I say? Stanley Urchin, and also in Iron Man 2, we had um, You Look Like Two Grapes Fighting Over a Seal. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. I also so, like the moment from that bit when you finally saw, um, what was his name? The Colonel. What was the Colonel's name in this? Tommy Lee Jones' character? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Phillips. Phillips, yeah. It was just so good to see him finally get like a backhand, you know, like a metaphorical backhand, because. I mean, I, I think he's a great actor as well. But, oh, yeah. I mean, that character is just the most, like, arrogant, mm-hmm. just just piece of shit. Like, you just mm. want him to get... I love when he's like, he's still skinny. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but that was nice to see, like, a final moment where he was like, oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. Which, again, that, that goes back to what I was saying about he didn't need to be as scrawny and, and skinny looking as possible because... You kind of felt like even when he did get the serum and he, he became big and that, it still didn't really change Phillips's mind on who he was because ultimately it felt like he just didn't like him as a person. He still sidelines him, doesn't he? Yeah. So then by this point, Colin, because I know you said you've mm. got issues with the film, do, 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 we, do we still have you or has already... Like, yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm still feeling good. I mean, I don't know if it's just me, but that whole sort of uncanny valley that we were talking about last week, mm. I just felt like there was a lot of that going on again. Obviously, with him having the scrawny body and, and yeah, that, yeah. that was quite a big thing. But even even with some of the shots when Agent Carter first appears and, and some of those, there were just moments where it kind of threw me off a little bit. That was the only part at this point that was kind of... And I think, in general, like, we'll get to the Red Skull in a little while, yeah. I'm sure. But was that CGI, that his head? Because it looked a bit odd to me and, and I'm confused as to why they didn't just do it with special effects makeup because it wasn't exactly like the skull was some giant massive thing that you needed to put loads of effort into and that that really threw me off as well but we're obviously we'll get into that oh here we go <laughs> please please fill me in commentary facts please fill me in so the skull uh, makeup was actually a mixture of I think they uh, did CG on his nose to make that sort of concave okay, inwards yeah. Because with prosthetics, you can build out really well, but you can't sort of mm. build in. Yeah, Whereas yeah. the rest of it, a lot of it was... For them, the mask scene where he takes off his mask for the first time, that's a mix of digital effects in which it was like a fake real head. Okay. So he's wearing the makeup and he's sort of wiping... I don't know why I'm motioning. People can't <laughs> see my motion. <laughs> but yeah, as he's removing the mask, it sort of switches from a real mask to... From digital to a real mask. It's almost yeah, it's a sort of mix if, of everything. Yeah, it's almost as if you guys have set me up because Schmidt and Doctor Arnim Zola harnessed the energies of the Tesseract, intending to use the power to fuel Zola's inventions, mounting an offensive that will change the world. Schmidt discovers Erskine's location and sends assassin Heinz Kruger to kill him. Now, Erskine subjects Rogers to the super soldier treatment and injects him with a special serum and dosing him and dosing him with Vita rays. After Rogers emerges from the experiment taller and more muscular and undercover, Kruger kills Erskine and flees with a vial of the serum. Rogers pursues and captures Kruger, but the assassin avoids interrogation by committing suicide with a cyanide capsule. 
So we've talked about how they did sort of the effect on um, Schmidt, um, the the villain here. So how what, what do we think as Hugo Weaving as Johann Schmidt, and where does he rank among our fellow MCU villains so far? I thought the first scene was was really good with him right at the beginning um, mm-hmm. when he goes in and and steals the what is it called that the tesseract the tesseract yeah I thought that was really cool I mean it just you know it showed how powerful he was and almost you know mimicking the the dictatorship of oh, Hitler fuck me. Hitler yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That's the one. yeah. That's him. and I really like the fact you could tell that there was something going on with, with him because he kept sort of rubbing his face every now and again. And droops, I really like that. It droops behind the ears yeah, sometimes yeah, it as well. Yeah, it was drooping. And, and I, I also really enjoyed the first reveal when he pulled that off, like Rob was just talking about a minute ago. Yeah. But then after that, like I said, it, it was... It felt like... And, and also there was a moment where I really liked that scene when, when he was getting his portrait painted yes. and like you didn't yeah. actually see it. I, yeah. I do. I love that in films when they just keep prolonging the reveal. Mm-hmm. I really love that. And and the reveal was really good, but after that, yeah, every time he was on the screen, it just felt like his head was vibrating, or it kind of looked like his head was <laughs> like just vibrating a bit, and it completely took me out of it. You can imagine that if he was, um, like, I don't know if he's red all over, if it's just his head. Like, yeah. does he look like a matchstick <laughs> when he takes yeah. his clothes off? <laughs> but yeah, it just it just kind of took me out of it a bit, and then yeah, I I couldn't really get past that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'd say. At this point, where we're at, he'd probably be my second favourite. Mm. But Loki, I would say, is my favourite to this point. And then just under, I would say him, because I, I feel like it being set in the 1940s as well, it kind of leads into it being like a bit of a classic comic book, and the hamminess works, I think, in his favour a bit. Whereas if that was a modern-day... If, if he was like a Tony Stark villain, it would be like, oh, wow, this feels a bit... Yeah, yeah. That weird. Yeah, I think he's okay. Um, I like my villains to be a little conflicted, um, but if they're not conflicted, I just instead just want to I want to hate them down to my bones. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I wasn't getting any of that here, really. Um, he's a little one note. Uh, he wants to destroy the world. Yeah, okay, sure. Uh, why? Uh, don't really know. Or maybe he, I don't. I, I, he's, some of his motivations for me were a little unclear. But saying that, and much like you, Colin, I I adored the build-up to him. So Mm. from the first scene where he shoots that guy and the blood splatters onto his Hydra badge and the blood only lands just on the skull portion of the uh, the badge. Um, And I love how sinister, like you mentioned, the scene is where he's getting his portrait done. And uh, the painter is... um, What's it called? Is it it an easel? Well, the only paint that he's using is like this deep, dark red... And um, what the camera does sort of show us Schmidt, but he's in like deep silhouette. And uh, yeah, 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 loved all of that. But in terms of being like an actual villain and like a nemesis to Steve Rogers, um, he felt like a bit of a wet fart, really. Um, <laughs> um, but about that chase sequence after the, the serum scene, that all works for me. I love the set dressing, the set design. I think the streets all look amazing. Um, and they put all these like tiny, like character beats into the chase scene as well. So when Steve is first, when he first starts chasing the assassin, and there's a one little moment where he looks down and he realizes just how fast he's starting to run. 
beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Um, and he, he ends up um, sending, sending himself flying through a shop window because he's never ran at that speed before. He just he, yeah. he's, he's not used to it. He can't control it. All works perfectly for me. Keep them coming. <laughs> Audio, commentary, <laughs> facts. I say facts. There's two back to back here. Mm. So, Joe Johnson... Johnston, rather, said he was tempted to have Peggy be the old lady in disguise in the um, introduction to that scene because that is how um, it is done in the comics. She's sort of in disguise and welcomes Steve into the oh. experiment. He said he'd love to see Peggy look 87 years old. And then Joe Johnston also joked that Richard Armitage, who played the very saucy Heinz Kruger, only took the role so that he could shoot an 82-year-old granny. Your fact was okay. What was even better was the two seconds it got for Colin to get the saucy reference. Oh, no, I, I got it. I got it. I just didn't know how to react. So. That's how my jokes go. I love it. There's never laughter. There's always sort of... Yeah, it's more just a deep sigh or something. Some sort of process going on. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so with Erskine dead and his super soldier formula lost, US Senator Brandt has Rogers tour the nation in a colourful costume as Captain America to promote war bonds, whilst scientists study him and attempt to then reverse engineer the formula. Now in 1943, whilst on tour in Italy performing for active servicemen, Steve Rogers learns that Barnes's unit, his best friend, uh, was MIA in a battle against Schmidt's forces. Now, refusing to believe that Barnes is dead, Rogers also has Peggy Carter and Howard Stark fly him behind enemy lines to mount a solo rescue attempt. Rogers infiltrates the fortress of Schmidt's Nazi division Hydra, freeing Barnes and the other prisoners. Rogers then confronts Schmidt, who then removes a mask, as we've already mentioned, to reveal a red skull-like visage. That then earns him the name the Red Skull. Schmidt escapes and Rogers returns to the base with the freed soldiers. So, you've already briefly mentioned it, Colin. As always, we like mm. to talk about the love interest, whether their chemistry was any good, whether it felt natural within the storyline, but it worked for you here. Firstly, I think her character had more than just one note, which I feel like a lot of the previous female ones has just been, mm-hmm. you know, looking at the superhero and drooling in every scene. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Piss. <laughs> you know, even after he was roided up, she was still... It was almost like that didn't even matter to her. Like, you could tell from the, the way she was still looking at him and the communication between them. And it was the, it was it was my favourite part of the film, to be honest, their, their relationship. Mm. I, yeah, it was just really nice to, to see, like, a female character with a bit of substance. <laughs> yeah, How for sure. was that bit in the boot camp where the person who gets the flag off the pole gets to get a ride back to camp with her and Steve just like takes the flag pole yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Brilliant. I think there's just, like you said, there's so many nice moments where she falls in love with Steve before. Yeah, Steve. with his personality. There's there's a nice moment they mention on the audio yes. commentary facts um, towards the end of the film, which we'll go into in more detail, but she's looking at Steve Rogers' file and she opens it up, and Hayley Atwell made the choice to not be able to pull out that photo of him pre-serum. And she just takes that moment when she pulls out, you, the score like elevates, and you just feel it 100%. Mm. Like, that, she loves him 
She fell in love with that skinny kid rather than... Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's almost as if you two have read my notes because uh, much like you two as well, completely worked for me. Um, I think the best thing they did was make Peggy have that connection with Steve pre-serum. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, I don't think it would have done her character any favours. Um, so each, even though, you know, even though she has that great beat where after she sees him, after he's immediately taken the serum, one of her first, like, uh, reactions is to almost like go to poke his abs um which yeah. she also kind of also has to like instantly hold herself back from doing so uh, and that's actually i think i believe that was improved by her as well hmm. apparently so yeah so um i yeah i love her hayley atwell's chemistry with uh chris evans yeah. i think it comes across fairly natural um and it's yeah it's definitely i think it's the strongest love story we've seen yet in the mcu uh pepper and tony felt like a lot of flirting instead of falling in love maybe um, not even close the less no. said about betty ross um in the incredible hulk the better rob can you do it again please Piss. <laughs> <laughs> um oh. and as i think colin mentioned last week uh the love story in thor just felt like a love story because maybe the story demanded it and therefore it yeah. didn't really come across as natural as it should have um and but you know at the end of the day it did introduce a concept of fuck eyes to me so thanks again for that colin um <laughs> i um i really loved that that scene before he becomes you know full-on cap mm. they're chatting in the car and he's saying about um not never been Never danced with a girl, basically, but not and, through choice. Not through because yeah. he's had he's had maybe options, but um, he's just waiting for the right partner. That's it. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and how like, they play on that throughout the film is beautiful. Mm-hmm. She, yeah, Bucky tries to, um, yeah, tries to become that dance partner, and she's like, "No, I'm waiting for the right partner." Mm-hmm. And then, we'll, obviously, we'll get to the end. But yeah, the rule of three that it just sort of it's wonderfully what it doesn't come out of nowhere like iron man 2 and it's like oh okay pepper's on this roof we're kissing now like oh, God, yeah. fighting over a seal <laughs> where <laughs> it's it's woven throughout and it's really nicely done thank you stanley urchin um so uh <laughs> rogers then recruits bucky um dum dum duggan gabe jones jim marita james montgomery Folesworth and Jacques Dernier to attack other known Hydra bases. Stark then outfits Rogers with advanced equipment, most notably a circular shield made of vibranium, a rare, nearly indestructible metal. Rogers and his team sabotage various Hydra operations, all whilst he and Carter begin to fall in love. The team then assaults a train carrying Zola. Rogers and Jones succeed in capturing Zola, but Bucky Barnes falls from the train to his death. So this is where it actually starts to get a little bit wobbly for me. Because I think the montage of Rogers and Co. on their various missions, I'm going to say it, it was boring. Um, I think it lacked any uh, imaginative ideas in that montage. Uh, To me... It consisted of Chris Evans standing in front of various green screens pretending to throw his shield. Um, Oh, it was awful. Yeah, it's the first time in the film I actually wanted to look at my watch and see how much time was left. Uh, So I kind of get that they wanted to kind of get across a sense of how much time had passed and that Captain America's been dismantling various Hydra bases for for whatever amount of time. But to me, 
uh, it just needed more imagination to it, maybe, or introduce some yeah. action beats or some character beats as interesting as that first chase scene we saw in the beginning with the assassin. Yeah, it felt a bit too crash bang wallop. It was just well. By the way, was this film shot in three D? Yeah, it, yeah. It was post converted to three D. Oh, yeah. because my god, man, there was far too much of everything flying at my face yep. throughout that, and that that was you that just kept got a coming. Spare a moment for the cameraman that gave their life. but there were so many points throughout that film where i just kept going this was very intentional intentionally made for a 3d audience it was Um, it felt like the shield every other every other throw was coming at your face yeah Um, especially in that montage yeah yeah there was a lot of that going on i um i there was a a little moment where they're letting where he's letting all those prisoners out where someone's like how do you how can you do this like um are you prepared or something like that? And he's like, I've knocked out Adolf Hitler 200 times. <laughs> and that whole sequence of the, just what I touched it briefly, the, the, the montage, there's a lot of montages in this film. And I think that goes against it. Yeah. But that star spangled man montage works completely for me. Bonds. I love and that. It's, um, a fun fact. Did you know? <laughs> <laughs> Audio commentary facts. Mate, are you going to have anything for the trivia section? <laughs> You're oh, just yeah. throwing you them out, it. man. You are throwing them out. You better believe it, Brainy. I've got, <laughs> <laughs> I've got some jollins. Jollin. Jollin. Um, that was written by Alan Menkin, who is uh, known most Disney? for doing the music for Beauty and the Beast, Hercules, and Tangled, those sort of things, which also nicely ties into the Expo music that was done by the Sherman Brothers for Iron Man 2. And they were obviously Disney people as well. So the same sort of eras as Howard Stark's music, mm. this was made. And I thought that was ruddy brilliant. Ooh, your trivia better be good because I think Colin oh, would yeah, have liked that Oh, yeah, that was a good one, mate. That was he a very have, good but one. I've gone for the music angle too many times. I want to impress him with something <laughs> different. You, you, know, you know George has jumped on the music bandwagon like for this he week. Hasn't. He hasn't. He's he hasn't. He's low-hanging okay. fruit. I'm, I'm oh. working for it. Now, um, before we start moving on to the end as well... Um, I know it's only a small role, but maybe let's give props to Sebastian Stan, who plays Bucky as well. For his limited screen time, I quite like him in this. and I think he works really well with Chris Evans. Um, And I guess this needed to happen story-wise, really, because I think in most Origins, we need some form of like fall from grace. But instead of having Cap be defeated or anything like that, well... I guess he is defeated in a way, because he loses his best friend whilst out on a mission. Mm. So that, it all works for me. Yeah, it works for me. I like from that first alleyway scene where he, like, I buy their friendship. Mm-hmm. I think it's really nice. I think we, we talk about the, that montage of them all on missions. I think it's a shame because they do mention with the that <laughs> that they were longer scenes. Basically, they filmed longer moments oh, okay. with little maybe dialogue and stuff like that, and that got lost to sort of turn it into like a pacey montage mm. Mm. so maybe we would have felt the loss of Bucky a little harder if we would have had more scenes with him with yeah. Cap on these missions there's a nice moment where he, he saves him from a sniper and Cap like salutes him mm-hmm. yeah I, I liked yeah which is overly memed now I think if you type yeah. in is it? <laughs> Captain America the first <laughs> one is, is the salute so but I, I think um, it just shows even more how um, how great Chris Evans was because even though Bucky wasn't in it a whole lot really mm. you felt it you felt it when he was gone just through how how good Chris Evans was yep. was playing the role and I love that little bit when 
I think it's when they're in the pub and and um, Agent Carter comes in and he gets totally fucking ghosted yeah. by her. And then I think he turns to him <laughs> at one point and he's just like, he, like he says something like, "We've switched roles." Yeah, or something he realizes like that. what it's like to be Steve yeah, Rogers now. Yeah, yeah. Steve's like, maybe she's got a friend. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> yes. exactly. And I, I, I liked their relationship as well, actually. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, the character yeah. work is really strong in this. Yeah, no, it really is actually. Even even just talking through it now with you two, like the, it really does show how well they the go character... back to that same pub as well, don't they? That's yeah, after. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's all yeah. bombed up and completely fucked up. Yeah, and he's, he can't get drunk, and that is like can't even drown his sorrows. That's mm-hmm. how. Yeah, that's oh, a, a lovely little really, moment. Really good. So, using information extracted from Zola. The final Hydra stronghold is located, and Rogers leads an attack to stop Schmidt from using weapons of mass destruction on major American cities. Rogers climbs aboard Schmidt's aircraft as it takes off. During the subsequent fight, the Tesseract's container is damaged. Now, Schmidt physically handles the Tesseract, which then opens a wormhole into space, sucking him into it. The Tesseract burns through the plane and is lost in the ocean. Seeing no way to land the plane without the risk of detonating its weapons, Rogers radios Carter and says goodbye to her before crashing into the Arctic. Stark later recovers the Tesseract from the ocean floor, but is unable to locate Rogers or the aircraft, therefore presuming him dead. Now again, we'll get on to the proper ending, but... Again, I had the same issues that I had with the montage. Uh, the, the same issues are back. The action, again, is not as imaginative, as creative as we've previously seen in the film. They, they, that, that first chase scene, they built up such a, 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 such a good, cool moment that I couldn't live up to it for the rest of the film, really. Because um, the warehouse where said Hydra stronghold is, it all kind of all feels like a soundstage and just lots of green screen. Um, I thought it was all lacking texture, really. And, you know, in your last battle for a superhero film, that's your time to wow your audience. Send them home going, oh, remember that bit? Oh, and that bit? How cool was that bit? But those last 20 minutes or so, to me, was lacking all of that. It just felt like we, in terms of action, had maybe run out of steam by that point. I think you're right in saying it peaked it peaked quite early on the action front but one of the one of the bigger issues I had with the film in general and maybe I'm just getting the character of Captain America slightly wrong in my own head but as soon as he got that shield it was just all it was all shield it was like it was every action scene was him tossing the shield and 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 just battering people with it and it kind of took away the 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 idea that they've even created a super soldier. It almost felt like if you just found someone and gave him that shield, mm. they'd be able to do almost exactly the same thing in any of the action yeah. scenes. And that thing does not obey the law of physics at all. No, but I mean, <laughs> that's, some some of the hand to hand combat was quite interesting when the very little amount in it. But other than that, almost every scene was, oh wait, just wait until he gets his shield back. He's going to toss it at someone. And therefore, knock him how over. how creative can you be with the shield? Well, it's just yeah, but it's just it's just a bit boring it mm. it doesn't leave you with any suspense it's like i i get it that that shield is obviously like incredibly powerful similar to i guess like thor's hammer or whatever mm-hmm. you know mm. it obviously holds a lot of power but it just almost took away the need of even creating a super soldier 
I, I get I get what you like you know the point is that he's a nice guy and and the fact that he makes good decisions is is a good thing but yeah. do you really want that in a war like do you really want the guy who's the good guy I mean mm-hmm. you know if you're going out there to essentially destroy something then you just want the guy that's willing to go out on the line give him one of those shields and would you have a different outcome mm. with sort of you know what I'm saying I, I guess their worry is if they have if you give the serum to someone like that do they yeah, do they go like Red Skull, basically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's, I get what you mean. It's 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 interesting because I kind of like I was thinking about this today that he's he's still not particularly skilled. Like you can make him strong, but he still hasn't wasn't really succeeding at the training side of things. So he still needs to get that um, military training. In ter- it's not like a Marine in terms of how he mm. can deal with combat situations and things. He's still very much just like trying to get a punch in. and He learned how to skydive pretty quickly, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's on it. He's out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I liked... There was something earlier on in the film where he wasn't... He was awarded a medal, and he didn't show up. Mm-hmm. And I thought there was a nice parallel that I'd never noticed before between that and Iron Man 2, where Tony gets the same, almost in, looks like the same location, that same moment to get a medal. And, of course, he stood there doing the V signs because he's driven by ego. And Cap isn't. Cap's like, well, I don't, the medal's not what I did it for. I did it to save people, and mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. enough. And it's just like... it's more and more sort of like building up on these characters and who they are yeah and sort of setting those those mm. the sort of foundations i guess yeah. I, I i agree with what you were saying though george like there's a lot of green screen in that final bit mm. there's a lot of great sets as well in the, in the film in general mm. that's what absolutely boggles me so it's all done Oh, a lot of it was done in sets and real like the plane set was lovely like actually after seeing it a while it was quite nice to appreciate some of the good set work yeah. I think that makes the green screen stuff feel a bit more like oh yeah it all went mm. a bit sky captain it does feel? it reminded me of like the final act almost of a Zack Snyder movie to be honest with you because I think they lack sort of that that texture and the backgrounds are all very dull and I need I need, I need stuff happening in the background but it just it always focuses on the forefront of what's happening and I uh, found it a little boring but saying that it ran out of steam is maybe incorrect because they did save a little bit left in the tank so we've got firstly the goodbye with Peggy. Um, now wow, Tommy yeah. Lee Jones, who we've sort of briefly mentioned in this, uh, I oh he's got just this wonderful moment where um, Steve, um, when he radios Peggy, he just has to say one line, and Tommy Lee Jones's character, uh, I think it's Phillips, like we said, he already know mm. he's read between the lines and he knows what's happening, so he he just clears out the room. Straight away, he's pointing at people and asking them to leave because he then he knows what's about to happen. So he allows Peggy to be alone to have that goodbye to Steve. It's all in the background, but God, it works. the The dialogue is heartbreaking, as Rob already mentioned, as it's all connected to like their previous interactions throughout the film. So it's all to do with Steve never having the opportunity to 
A, take someone out dancing because there wasn't any offers, but B, because he was waiting for the right partner. So it's all completely heartbreaking because even she says, like, oh, we'll make a deal to go meet at this club next week for our first date, only for then, you know, the radio to go dead. Um, We're five films in, and to me, this is by far the most emotional moment we've had in the MCU so far. I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. It's the whole, um, we had the band play something slow, and... Yeah, I don't want to step on your toes. And mm-hmm. just the dialogue is so good. He doesn't even get to finish that, does he? I don't want to step on no. you. And it, it just cuts to static. Yeah, it's, it's just so well done. It's um, a testament to how well their relationship is developed. Yeah. Did we get you by the end there, Colin? Yeah, I mean, probably not to the extent that it got you to. I, I wasn't... <laughs> I didn't have a box of tissues, you know, crying my eyes out. But yeah, no. It, but but again, it's 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 kind of what I've what I've said about this film from the get go. It's just the character development between those guys and and a couple of other the characters was like the main, you know, the main part of the film that I really enjoyed. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was like a a pretty deep moment or emotional moment towards the end. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And just when you think it can't get any sadder, we actually get to the last scene. So. Rogers then awakens in a 1940s-style hospital room, hearing a radio broadcast of a baseball game that he attended in 1941. Rogers grows suspicious, flees outside, and finds himself in present-day Times Square, where S.H.I.E.L.D. director Nick Fury informs him that he has been asleep for nearly 70 years. Upon asking if he's going to be okay, Rogers simply replies, I had a date. So... That's our ending, and uh, it's so downbeat, considering, you know, you've got Steve Rogers, he, Captain America, he's dismantled Hydra, he's defeated the villain, he's saved the world, or he's saved America, I guess. He's got a medal. He's got, yes. Excelsior! (laughs) I'm really annoyed, because I awkwardly brought out the medal bit in order to set up the sand leafy, and I just forgot... (laughs) And then we moved on to an emotional scene. I'm like, I can't just start going Excelsior. I thought it'd be bigger, right? That was the line he had in this one. Yeah, I thought said? he'd be Tyler. Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, dear. yeah, as you were. But yes, uh, but of course, um, Steve, uh, he's been asleep for, you know, as, I mean, as far as he's concerned, only like a day or two has passed, I guess. And he's woke up and he's lost his best friend and the woman he fell in love with. Um, so... I guess you could say story-wise, he jumped on the grenade again. Um, but this time the grenade was real. Colin, did that get you pumped for to see him again in present day? Most definitely. It made me realise that I wish that what I had just seen was like 45 minutes of the film and we could just carry on and get, get cracking. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and that, that's what I meant by when I was, I was saying, like, because we're watching these, like, you know, once a week and and they're almost episodic to me now and it feels like we're watching a tv show Mm. um yeah it it felt like overall this one was a bit of a filler episode and it was one of those where the last scene makes you want to quickly get on with the next episode um but i loved the ending like that that end sequence when he wakes up Mm -hmm. in the kind of fake the fake room with the radio on and he yeah, sort of says, says that he, he was at that game or it was yeah. something like that, wasn't it? Like it mm. Yeah, that whole bit was great, man. And, and yeah, it definitely was like, I want to watch more. Yeah. Like, it did a great they job originally of wanting more. wanted um, the nurse that comes in to be played by Scarlett Johansson. 
um, and it would oh. be Natasha Romanoff. Um, but then they realised if it was her, that we'd get the realisation before Cap of does. Of course, yeah. And yeah, they decided yeah. that it works best if he almost tells us that he was at the game. So they hired someone else to play the nurse. I'm not going to say it's my favourite ending to a Marvel film because Colin might then be like, oh, well, I don't really want to watch any others. <laughs> but it's it's one of my favourites. Yeah. I love that moment so much and it works. That whole, like, I had a date oh. is such a good last line. Oh. Like, it's not about anything else other than, it's not about the villain, it's not about any of that. It's, it's not about how long have I been asleep, like, what what's happened, with, who's president? Yeah. Nothing like, I had a date. Funny you should mention that, because new segment, special feature fact, it's a bonus fact. He's only got to done it, it's a bonus fact. So, oh. in that end scene, there was quite a lot that was cut, dialogue-wise. Mm. So, there was a moment where Nick Fury said, oh, my name's Nick Fury, I'm from S.H.I.E.L.D. He said, you would have known it as the Strategic Scientific Reserve. So, he's linking those two things. That's mm. an original line. I did think that watching this. Mm. Yeah. He says, um, Cap says, where am I? And he says, 46 from Broadway. Then he said, we didn't know your mental state, so we thought it best to ease you in slow. I think he just says, we thought it best to ease you in slow. Yeah. In the, theatrical so yeah then nick fury says my doc say it was suspended animation or it could have been dr erskine's formula that the extreme cold i don't know so he's talking about well that was the one big question how he survived fiance had at the end she was like Hmm. so is he does he not age then i said Hmm. yeah he ages but he's been asleep in the ice she went but so how old is he then I said, well, technically, I guess he's in his <laughs> 80s or 90s now. She went, right, so and she just confused her. And then the more I tried to yeah. explain it to her, the more I was like, oh, I don't think even Confusing I Confusing yourself. <laughs> it's yeah, best yeah. they don't explain it. Yeah. I think, to keep it vague. So you can see why all of this was cut. Because then Steve says, what about the war? Did we win? And Nick Fury says, hell yes, unconditional surrender. Uh, taking down Hydra was a big part of that but the world hasn't changed all that much there's still lots of work to be done a soldier's work the world can be used can still use a man like you Cap there's a place here for you I that all feels too too much Much. too much like exposition to me I think the only part out of all of that that works is Cap maybe saying did we win everything else I think is unnecessary I I don't even think that's necessary because you think it's more powerful for him to say, you know, none of that be on his mind and just be... Oh, yeah, of date. course, yeah. yeah they yeah, they, they yeah. 100% made the right decision, yeah. I think the only thing they should have kept was you would have known it as the Strategic Scientific Reserve. Yeah. So that just links S.H.I.E.L.D. and mm-hmm. would have been nice. But, um, yeah, I think it was the right call to have him sort of say, you've been asleep, Cap, like, that. that's all you need. Yeah. Like, mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it really works. Ask but him if he's okay and he says, the, yeah, I had a date. Yeah, watching the extra scene and sort of getting a bit more mm. of an idea of what... They always sort of do these extended things with Nick Fury that just cut them. <laughs> <laughs> Must be raging. Poor guy. So that's our ending to the film. And it's so, you know... So let's go on to our ratings out of five for our letterboxed account. Now, I'm sure all you listeners 
already know uh, by now what we're talking about. So what we're doing, we're ranking all the films out of, uh, out of five as well, and we're putting them onto an app called uh, Letterboxd. The link to our account is in the episode description below. Um, and so by the end of these however many films we're going to do, um, we will have an extensive, almost like ranking order, but one for Colin, one for myself, and one for Rob. So, Colin, out of five, where are we at? Ah, oh, this is hard, man. I, I've gone hard. back and forth about three times. Mm, yeah, because, you know, like I've said, overall the film didn't quite work for me because it was just a lot of... Yeah, like I said a minute ago, it was sort of it felt like a filler. I just wanted to once it had finished, I was like, okay, let's move on. Mm. But that being said, the the um, relationships between some of the characters were some of the best I've seen so far. Mm. So it's like it's a kind of toss up. The movie overall didn't quite work for me, but it had some of the best character development out of all of the yeah. films. So mm. I think because of that, I'm going to have to give it a three star. That's not bad. Not bad, Rob. Wait, did I? Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. I can't go. You back can, now, can, you I? can. I go. You can change it now. You, you just can't change it when we do the next episode. Well, I just think. I mean, you guys are going on about how these films turn into frigging masterpieces, and I'm thinking, if that's the case, then maybe Free Star is too high for this. Oh, I thought you were going to go higher. <laughs> oh, you're, you're not happy with that either. No, 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 you can't yeah, change it. No. I, would, I would say judge it on what you've seen and how you feel about what. Yeah, I'm don't saying judge now. it on what's I, I, coming. I'll go. I'll go free. I'll stick to it. I'll stick to it. I'm not going to change. I've said free. It's free. Cool. Cool. Rob. Four. Ooh. Now, hello. We we had some discussion last week saying that my ranking has been well harsh, but I've got a new system because I. It suddenly dawned on me, I gave Iron Man one, the, the thing that started it, three stars, which is bang down the middle. And I, I, I still agree with three stars. But now i got that interesting way that I can go, was this better than Iron Man to me? Mm. And this was, like character-wise, I, I, I definitely think it's flawed. And it's definitely, it's trying to do that rocketeer, um, Indiana Jones kind of thing, so it can be a bit pulpy and B movie and mon- yeah, over mon- on relying on montages and stuff. And the green screen can be a bit much, but I, I have so much fun with it. And the character stuff is so 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 mm-hmm. good that I, I've I've got to put it higher than Iron Man for me. So I, I'm giving it. I was torn. I was torn between three point five or four, and I'm going with four. I think. Yeah. It would have been three point five before I watched it this time round. It's gone up a little bit. Yeah. This time. I've always said it's a three star rated film. Um, I enjoyed it a lot more on this time than I have ever before. So I've constantly gone back and forth today between three and a half and four as well, um, because that character work is so strong and it's the little moments of you know steve jumping on the grenade and taking on the bully behind the cinema things like that but can i live with myself if i give a film four out of five when i found 20 to 30 minutes of it quite boring i don't think i can so it's three and a half for me um but that is still i've had the most fun i've had with this film since it came out nine years ago. So I'm very happy still anyway. Moving on. Here we go again. 
It's trivia time. You know too much for your own good. Now that's what I call using the old head. Trivia. And so I always forget <laughs> who goes first. Me too. I was just about to say that too. I don't know. <laughs> no one. I can't remember who went first last week. We need to start writing this down or something. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, should I go? Yeah, go on then. Go on then. Not too sure. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> so, in the comic books, when S.H.I.E.L.D. were first introduced, they used to drive in like floating cars. Now, whenever they were asked where they got the tech from, uh, or how it was created, they would always respond by saying it's Stark tech. Although they never explicitly said Tony Stark. Now, as we mentioned, in the Stark Expo 1941, what is Howard Stark showing as part of that expo, Colin? Oh, the the floating car. He's showing a floating car. Which goes very wrong. Now, even though exactly it doesn't quite go to plan, that's a nice little nod to the comics and the origins of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the comic books as well. But maybe it's even a continuation of that particular canon as well by saying that it's Stark tech. Maybe what they mean is actually Howard Stark provided S.H.I.E.L.D. with that technology. Poker face. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, we've, it's interesting we've both gone down the vehicular route mm. this week, oh. George. Because, I mean, you could say a lot about old Red Skull's choice of vehicles, but Loki and, um, not to be confused with Loki, but, you know, they're not subtle. So you may watch it and think, that rocket ship he's got that's like a helicopter and zooms off, that's ridiculous. No one's ever thought of that, have they? Or have they? (laughs) The fuck wolf... The what? The what, I'm sorry. sorry. I, can't, I can't pronounce it. <laughs> I'm sorry to any Germans. I'm sorry. Sorry to any Germans. The fuck wolf... <laughs> Tree Flugel. I don't think that's how you pronounce it at all. Or loosely translated to Thrust Wing Hunter was a German concept for aircraft designed in 1944... The idea was that it would have vertical takeoff and could be used in factory areas where there were no airfields. It was only ever designed as a concept and was never actually put into full design. So the film is taken on this idea of Nazi vehicles that were actually sort of theorized or put in sort of at least put into blueprint form. Hydra then took this technology like the Tesseract and other things and designed them into reality. Okay, I think... Okay. All right. um, I think I'm going to have to go with Rob on that one. Yes. Is that free two now? Did you bring it back? I think it was two all here. Yeah, yeah, it's free two. You're taking the lead, man. free two. Wow, nice one. Mm. I like that there's no clear sort of... Someone storming ahead. It's very neck and neck. It's very close, but actually. I, I hope unintentionally. you're not doing that on purpose, Colin. No, no, no. Honestly, mate, I'm not. I'm not. Okay. I'm, I wouldn't do that at all. It just that's just the way it's been okay. so far. Okay. That, but but I mean, to be honest, the last, I think the last two or three have been. They've both been pretty good. So it's not been exactly an easy choice. I think the first couple it was quite. You mm. know, it do you want to hear what my backup was? Go for it, man. So, do you remember the scene in which there were three Nazis that come to check in on um, Red Skull? And he basically does a test of his gun and 
you know, blows oh, them yeah. all up. Yeah, like, yeah, they're, yeah. they're like Hitler, don't want anything to do with you anymore, you mm-hmm. crazy matchstick-looking mother fudger. Um, well, they were named by the <laughs> by the director as Rhoda, Hutter, and Schneider, which were the band names, the individual names of the band Kraftwerk, the German oh. progressive techno band. Okay. Ooh. I'm not sure how they feel about being compared to free <laughs> yeah, exactly. like a kill by <laughs> Red Skull. <laughs> Oh, Christ. Was it because he hated the band or loved yeah. the band? I can't quite tell. <laughs> yeah, he didn't, so. Uh, so we are aware that there is a post credit scene at the end of this, but it is a brief teaser to the Avengers. So we've decided that since Colin has managed to go like, like the last decade without seeing these films, not even a trailer, that we should keep this going. So, uh, and the trailer in question does also contain a villain reveal. So we have uh, politely asked Colin not to watch uh, the post credit scene. Because, yes, next week it is time. We are back in present day for our first Avengers movie. Colin, are you excited? Apprehensive? I am, actually. No, no, no. I'm ready. I'm ready. I feel ready. Good. Uh, how do you think it's going to be having all, the, all of our heroes sharing a film together? Very interesting. Mm. Uh, just because I have no clue how they're going to make this work. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm, I'm very intrigued. Mm, you should be, sir. <laughs> so uh, that's another week. And as always, it's been a pleasure, boys. Uh, that was a good laugh this week. So, Rob, uh, say goodbye. Goodbye. Collins, say goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening, everyone. And again, stay safe, stay well, stay nerdy. Next time we meet, let it be in peace and friendship. This is as far as you're going to get tonight. Such valuable stuff. All in a nice work. Sweet dreams, little friend.